Thank you for being here today. I'm going to pick up in the book of Mark. That's where we've been. And I think one of the things is I think we needed to see and hear more about what Jesus did. You know, we know what he said. We learn about what he said. But the book of Mark is like the actions of Jesus. It talks about more of what he did than what he said. And when he did something, we find a, a word that's common. It says immediately this happened, immediately that happened in Jesus' ministry. And today we see a lot of things not happening so immediately. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people want things to happen now. We want it yesterday. But yet God is showing us that our immediacy is not God's. And our time is not God's. And our ways are not his ways, nor are our thoughts his thoughts. And it just well may be that when you get in an answer what God has done from heaven, it was done immediately. But by the time it's actually transferred to us, it may seem like it took some time. Yeah. You know, it does. You know, in the language that we use in the Bible is faith is now language. It's present language. So when I speak by faith, I speak from the standpoint that I have received, that it's already done. That's what he said to Abraham. It was counted as righteousness because he believed God. And so we have the responsibility of believing and trusting God and letting God work out the details. Amen? He works out the details. And I know in my life I've been serving the Lord for quite some time. And every area that I have had anxiety is because I have overstepped and tried to help out and get involved and try to push things and make it happen. And so it ended up slowing up the process. And so sometimes people say, well, God has taken so long. Well, if you would sit down and be humble, right, and be quiet before the Lord and let him work, you know, it could happen a lot faster. You know, every time I took my car to a mechanic and told him I worked on it and I couldn't fix it, he charged me more. <laughs> and I learned to quit telling him that I did something to try to fix it because now he's got to fix what I've messed up then to get to the real problem. And nowadays, it's the same thing with God. We're tampering with the things of God so much, and we're trying to make things happen, trying to make ourselves get married to the person we want to marry, trying to make our kids act right, trying to make ourselves get the job we want, trying to make our employer pay us the amount we want. We're trying to make everything happen. And then on Sundays, we tell people we trust God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If you really trust God, yeah. it's okay to be still if you really trusted him. Now, if you're not trusting him, that's going to be a problem. But if you say, I trust God, then don't worry about your pay. Don't worry about the clothing, your food, or any of the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. If you're really trusting God, then you'll let him do it. You will let him do it. And it's faster than you realize. I mean, I'm telling you, we've received so much from the Lord. I will tell you this, I've received more than I deserve. People, oh, Lord, give me what I deserve. Oh, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. <laughs> Please don't give me what I deserve. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want what I deserve. Because whenever I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be here with you now. It's only because I didn't get what I deserve. I stand before you by grace and in humility towards him and in submission to him that God has given me the grace to be able to share and to serve. What a joy to serve God. I mean, we get to serve. We don't have to serve, we get to. I like that I get to do it. Kind of like I get to go to Disneyland, that's fun, right? I get to go, I get to serve God, that's better. 
It's not like an attitude that I have to have. I have to serve God today again. (sighs) But you know what I'm saying? It's a joy. It's not a burden or some dubious act that we have to do before God. I mean, he's allowing us to share in his holiness. He set us apart and sanctified us and called us saints so we're no longer ain'ts. (laughs) You was an ain't for a long time. You came to Jesus and got separated from being an ain't to a saint. He's called you saints. A lot of Christians don't understand that. You are saints. Well, I'm no saint. Well, if you ain't no saint, you still an ain't. (laughs) Because we got the idea that saints are perfect. Well, if saints were perfect, did you ever look at Peter's life? We call him St. Peter right now, though. You remember all the things he went through? And yet, see, you're only a saint because you've been set apart for God's use. Not a saint because you're good. You're a saint because he's good. So I know it's hard for you to call yourself saint, but you are a saint. If you don't start calling yourself a saint, you won't begin to act like God wants you to act. You have to see yourself in sainthood, not in the way the world sees or the religion sees it, but you're set apart for the work of God. When Paul wrote to the churches, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus or to the saints who are in this city or that city. He talked to the saints. These people are everyday people just like us. You're saints because you're set apart for the use of God. So that's a new mentality that you have to start thinking when you pray that God has caused you to be sanctified. And when you get sanctified, he can cause you to walk in holiness. And the scriptures tell us that if we don't walk in holiness, then we won't be able to see God. And we know we can't physically see him, but we can't even see the manifest things that God does if we don't walk in holiness. Our God is holy. He calls us, therefore, to be holy. Again, it's not a work of the flesh. And I think that's where we're getting hung up. You think, well, I, I, I didn't act right last night, and I didn't treat my husband right, or I didn't speak right to my children, and so I feel bad. And you bring that condemnation before God. He doesn't look at that. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And you've got to realize that. It's a mental shift. If you're in Christ, there is no sentence of condemnation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish. So I'm no longer perishing spiritually. I might be perishing physically, but I'm not perishing physically, spiritually anymore because God has come into my life. And as my outer man dies or decays, my inner man is being renewed day by day. Isn't that the word of God? We're being renewed day by day. You are being renewed. Focus on the inner man and the inner woman. That's where the true beauty is. Amen? And you grow thereby. We always talk, well, I can't do what I used to do. You don't need to do what you used to do. Why do we get that? What do you need? What do I need to crawl around on the floor and roll around and jump off of stuff for anymore? What do I need to do that for? That's probably why you're hurting now. Got to recover from all that stuff. You know, all these football guys and all this stuff, we all sit there and cheer at them. Guys are all messed up after they get out of the league and knees hurting, back hurting, shoulders hurting, all the calcium build up on their body, getting body ramming against each other, and they're all tore up. They made millions of dollars, and now they're just all just a big old heap. No, man, I'm telling you, man, we just got to be thanking God for the renewing of the inner man and the inner woman. That's where the beauty is. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 6. Let's take a look. See what we can glean from it verse by verse. And Jesus is teaching in Nazareth now at this point, and this is right after 
you know, he did some powerful things and miracles and healings in chapter 5. And so let's take a look at verse 1. He says, and he went out from there and he came into his hometown. Say hometown. hometown. Say it one more time. Hometown. So Jesus came into a place of familiarity where everybody knew him. Everywhere else, nobody knew him, but they came to know him. So now he's at his hometown. And you know, when you're in your hometown, you're received a little different in a hometown. Usually people, they go to their hometown, people just remember you when you were a little so-and-so because that's, they're familiar with you. And I will tell you today that familiarity in the things of God is one of the biggest ploys of the devil to rip you off from the power of God. Amen. When you get familiar and you're not seeing the divine intervene through uh, a natural being that God has anointed, you can't receive from God. And many times, you know, you grow up in school in certain neighborhoods and you were kind of, you know, a low cut up kid like everybody else. Then all of a sudden you've had an uh, intervention from God in your life. Your life has changed and turned around. Nobody's seen you for 20, 30 years. And then you go back to your hometown and you're not that guy. And they keep trying to make you remember who you were. Yeah. <laughs> keep talking about all the stuff you used to do. And you're not trying to be, you know, mean or rude, but you're not that person anymore. You know, but that's all they can remember about you. So you realize that they're still stuck 30 years ago where you were and God has brought you out and it starts to make you feel compassion for people to realize, wow, 30 years ago, I left this place and I come back and 30 years now, these people are still doing what we used to do in our own hometown. And we serve a God of change and transformation. Nobody should stay the same. You're in an organic relationship with God. You're going to grow and you're going to change. You're going to transform. It's a Greek word called metaschematiso, metaschematiso, and it just means a total transformation. It means you are one thing, and God has taken you from that one state to a whole different state to where you can't be recognized in that old state anymore. You're something totally new. You know, meta meaning change. You know, uh, schizo is a plan, so it's a change of plans when you come to God. When you deal with the metanoia, you deal with a change of heart change of heart and mind. So you just you might look the same, might be carrying the same chassis, but something on the inside is different. It's like taking a Volkswagen and putting a Ferrari engine in it. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like a Volkswagen, but it don't sound like one, nor does it move like one. And you are different when it comes to Christ in your life. You know, you've been endued with power. There's an endowment that has come upon your life. There's a boldness, a new boldness that comes upon you. So here comes Jesus back to his hometown. Let's, let's take a look and see what the people do. So he went out from there and came to his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. Verse 2, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and it says the many listeners were astonished, saying, watch this now, where did this man get these things? Can you imagine that now? He's teaching in their synagogue, and when you go to the normal synagogue, there's just some reading of scripture, and there's some rudimentary things they do, ritualistic things they do. Well, here comes Jesus teaching in their synagogue, and they weren't used to hearing him talk the way that he did because the Pharisees and all the scribes and all the other people talked a certain way. And the reason they did, because the scriptures were not written about them, it was written about Jesus. See, when something's written about you, there's more life in it. So Jesus is talking, 
and teaching some things that they're hearing are going to come, but he is that which was going to come. So he's teaching in their synagogues, and all of a sudden, it's the liveliest service that they ever heard. And they thought to themselves, where did this man get these things from? In other words, this is not normal. This is not usual. They're astonished and just in amazement that what he's saying, they don't want to listen to it, but what he's saying is so lively, they're asking, where do you get it from? He's at his own hometown. They don't remember Jesus this way. He's grown up now. He's in the ministry full time, 30 years old, filled with the Holy Spirit from head to toe, walking in purpose, doing the will of his father. So he comes back now, manifests the glory of God. And he's talking like he's talking from the throne of God. And they said, where are you getting these things? I can only imagine what that felt like. So they were astonished and saying, where did he get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands. I mean, I can't fault them. I mean, he grows up in this area and now they see him coming with wisdom and words of power and miracles and things are happening and they hadn't had this before. See, everything in the Old Testament talked about that stuff, but they'd never seen it or realized it in the way that Jesus was showing it to them. Because now he is fulfilling what the Old Testament says in front of them. So they're having some problems. And so here's what they begin to do. Whenever we have problems, we, we begin to question. And you might do that. I know I do it. I question things that I don't understand. But see, the problem is not that you question it. It's how you question it. So you can question it in the sense that you're doubtful or unbelieving, or you can question it because you're inquiring to know. But we're going to find out today they weren't inquiring to know. They were in unbelief. They couldn't handle what they were hearing. And sometimes it's like that in the church. People will look at a particular church, and they judge the church by looking at the people. They most certainly judge the church by looking at the pastor. Yeah. You know, if I don't have a suit on or something, like most churches have suits on. Everything's all tight. You know, <laughs> the pastor looks intelligent. The pastor looks sharp. He looks intelligent. He's clean. And they figure, oh, that's surely the man of God right there. And where did they get this stuff from, though? They didn't get it from God. And again, there's nothing wrong with being nicely dressed. But God is not in the dressed-up business. I mean, that, that's not what it is. And I shared this with you before. Businessmen wear suits. Right? Everybody goes to formal things in suits. Our whole house of representatives are in suits. Right? Whatever side you're on, Republican, Democrat, and if you don't want to commit to anything, just say you're an independent. Yeah, I'll just say I'm an independent because I don't know what to vote for nowadays. But my point is, everybody that dresses up, that doesn't anoint you or appoint you or put any credence to how smart and intelligent you are. And so they're having a problem. He goes in the temple, this guy's having these robes on and all this stuff, and these cone hats and... They're speaking like this and speaking like that. And Jesus is talking about God and all of the ways of God. And here's Jesus talking like God, doing what God does and saying what God says. Who is this and who does he think he is? Now things are going to change. They're getting ready to change. 
I love Jesus, man. I love Jesus. I can't wait to just squeeze him. I just really can't wait to grab hold of him and squeeze him. I know I love on him when I get the word. I love on him when I love you. But I can't wait till I can physically grab hold of him one day in glory. And I know somehow we're going to all be able to squeeze him at the same time. I ain't going to have to tell Joe, get out the way. <laughs> Give me some Jesus. We just be hugging on him at the same time. Somehow it's just going to work that way with this new body that we're going to have. You know, it's a celestial body. We might be able to walk through each other. I don't know. Might be to all just get in one big bubble and just hug him at the same time. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's a celestial body. It's not a terrestrial body. It's a celestial body. We don't know. But all I know, he's going to give us all love. And I can't wait to get that. I'm getting some of it now, but I can't wait to get it. So look at this now. So he's doing all these things, and they're questioning it because they see it. And the interesting thing for me is you're questioning Jesus of where does he get this stuff from and who he is. And then you say, and all these miracles that he does by his hands. Now, they've admitted that he's doing miracles, but they're still questioning him, letting you know that because you see miracles doesn't make you believe. He performed these things in front of them, and they saw it, and they heard about it because it says his fame spread throughout the district. So everywhere he went, people knew about what Jesus was doing. So they acquiesced to the fact that he did the things that they mentioned, and yet they still questioned him. That tells you just how far removed we are from the divine as a people. So even if you see it, you don't believe it. So they take it a little further. They want to reduce the divinity down to natural man's standards. They want to take the sacred and make it unholy. They want to make everything about Jesus common so they can feel better about themselves. And that's what people do with faith. They, they want to make you feel bad. They want to find out what's common in you so they can tell you that they don't have to do it because you can't even do it. So watch this. Watch this thing here. Watch how the spirit works. So they're talking. They're just perplexed. They don't know what's going on. And verse 3, it says, Is not this the carpenter's or the son of the carpenter, the son of Mary? And then he breaks it down. And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, big question mark, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So moving past everything Jesus was doing in every town till this town, till he'd come home, it's like a homecoming. Usually when you come home, it's a big old celebration. But now he's coming home after all of the fame and all the stuff that's happened, curing sickness, disease, casting out demons out of the demoniac, healing the uh, woman with the issue of blood, uh, healing Jairus' daughter. I mean, just blow after blow after blow. They're hearing this stuff. The Jerusalem Times went out that this Jesus of Nazareth has struck again. He's healed in the land everywhere. Demons are being cast out. People are being raised from the dead. Blind eyes are opening. He's coming to your town soon. Now, you think about it. All of this stuff's going on, and now they got to reduce this down. Wait, wait, wait a minute. We know his folks. And Mama and them own a carpenter shop down the street. I mean, this chair we sitting in, the daddy built it. I mean, and, and James and Judas, and wait a minute. Hey, let's not go too far with this Jesus stuff. These are natural people. We know his family folks. Wait a minute. Collect your thoughts. Couldn't be what it is. There's got to be another explanation. 
is just a natural man. He's just a commoner. Don't you remember little A. Susie Crystals? Don't you remember him? He's just a little boy. Remember the time he got lost in the market, his family couldn't find him? Mary was looking for him. He's just a little boy. He had the nerve to tell his mother, I've been about my father's business. Little kid, what is he? <laughs> this is the natural stuff that people do. This is what they do to you. They do it to me. Who is Pastor Ralph Buchanan? He went to Audubon, James John Audubon School. He was in the first grade with me. Who is that guy that went to Morris High School in San Diego? He ain't nobody. He went to Grossmont College. He ain't nobody. He dropped out of Grossmont College. He can't be a pastor. You don't know what God's been doing with somebody when he removes you and puts you into a place by yourself and he starts to deal with you. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what transformations God is doing in your life. You spend a moment with God, it'll change your life and your future and everybody around you. You can stay in school four years and get a master's degree and come out and don't have a job. Nothing's for certain except for it's with God. So they're questioning. They bring it all down and... They're having a problem with this, right? So I'm going to go over to, let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians. And let me give you some insight on our reasoning. Because we all do it. But watch this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is the mindset of the people at this time. Um, in verse 14, it says here, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot, he being the natural man, understand them because they are spiritually discerned or praised. You see that in your Bible? And verse 15, but he who is spiritual appraises or discerns all things, yet he himself is not appraised or discerned. So in the natural sense of things, it's impossible for those guys at home to understand what had happened since Jesus was gone. And you know there's this big time lapse between Jesus was born to he's about 11 or 12 years old and nobody knows what happened to him between 12 and 30. Now they got all kind of speculation out there and there's some lost books of the Bible that need to stay lost. <laughs> and extra biblical stuff out there. You don't even want to do it. I don't even want to try to speculate. But there's obviously God did not shed any light from the time he was 12 to 30 and all of a sudden he's on the scene He's being baptized of John. The skies are opening up. Spirit like a dove falls down and God's voice opens up out of the clouds and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what we know. We got to go for what we know. Leave the speculation to the speculators. Because I don't know where Jesus was during that time. I'm not going to begin to try to talk about it because I know we're going to get into error. What is important about this is that Jesus did all things to fulfill all things. And we know that the natural mind or thinking naturally minded you will not be able to discern what God has done spiritually in somebody's life. So it's real hard to try to explain to people the change that you have. The only thing you can do is live it. Everywhere you go now, you're different. And everywhere you've been that you used to do, they'll see now, they'll try to offer you a drink. Well, brother, you know, I'm good. I, I'm good. You, you, don't, you, you don't drink anymore. 
Man, man, I just said I'm good, man. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, you're going to go out, let's go razz the town a little bit. Let's just ride up and round the street. Oh, man, I'm, I'm great, man. I'm good. I'm good. They, they're wondering. They're trying to taunt to see if this thing is real. They don't understand. They're in the flesh. To be carnally minded is to be dead. It's death in the flesh. You keep thinking carnal mindedness. You have death working in your life, death working in your members. They don't see the life of Christ working in you until you love them without judgment. Real easy for me to pull up a cup and put some water in it and they can drink the beer if they want to. I'm not going to sit there and pull up my Bobby. You know, it's dissipation when, when you dissipation, when you drink. You know, I've come out of drinking and I think you need to come out of drinking. Drinking is not good. And those that drink can't be filled with the spirit of God. You just lost your people. The best witness that you can give them is just do what you're supposed to do in front of them. And they're going to notice that you're having as much fun as they are, probably more. And you don't need a driver to drive you home. Amen. Don't judge people. You've come out of the stuff. You've already come out of it. They need to see the banner and the advertisement that you've come out. And if you live in such a way and show love to them, they're going to know, hey, man, you used to be the biggest drinker, man. You used to put a keg down. What happened to you? Oh, I had a big hole in my life back then. I didn't know. What do you mean a big hole in your life? I had a big hole like I felt empty. Well, tell me more about that. You really want to know? And you get into it, you prayerfully get into a conversation with them, and you don't judge them at all. They just talk about what God has done for you. And I guarantee you, at the end, while you're talking to them like that and you're praying for them, they're going to have that hole. They'll be recognizing that hole on the side of them. They say, wow, you did this, what, I haven't seen you in 20, 30 years? And how long have you known this stuff like this? Man, it's been like 20, 30 years. Man, you know, I've been empty for the last 20, 30 years since the last time I saw you. In fact, it's kind of gotten worse. You know, you, you mind if we meet again, if we can talk more about this? This is kind of astonishing what's happened to you. Because I knew you. I, I knew. I mean, we used on a football team together. We used to run the streets together. You know, girlfriends and all this kind of stuff. We were all over the place. Man, you just, you're a man of a house now. You got a wife, kids. Yes, wonderful guy now. What, what, I don't know what happened. You know, people want what you want, but they don't want it when you poke it at them. Jesus never poked it at people. The whole time, if Jesus was healing people and raising people from the dead and casting out demons, he wasn't putting them down before he delivered them. He wasn't going to make them feel bad about the condition. Why would you make somebody feel bad about the condition when the condition is natural? They can't do right. They couldn't if they wanted to. They have a sin nature. They're living 100% in the sin nature. They're getting 100% of what they do operational in their life because they're in the flesh. So until you show them that there's an alternative, there's a better way, there's a plan, and there's a purpose that God has for your life, just like I found out he had one for my life, and I didn't know. I thought it was my ambition and my boldness and what I wanted. And here's Jesus. He walked away and did what God called him to do. He comes back to his hometown. They're reducing him down to natural things. They're taking the supernatural and making it natural. And they're trying to say he just comes from the same kind of family we do. You know his mother, you know his sisters, you know his brothers. He can't be the guy that everybody's been saying he is. He couldn't have done the things that everybody says he's done. But yet you've got witnesses all around every district that Jesus had affected that could not lie. In your natural mindedness, you will make God's stuff common. You see, we do more of trying to defend why we think something hasn't happened rather than believing why it should happen. We try to explain away this or explain away that when we should be telling people to only believe. Hallelujah. See, I don't have any pressure on me 
for God to bless you. That belongs to him. The part that I play is that I make sure I'm a witness. And that I'm not stumbling people. And I'm not living in such a way to cause people to doubt God. But if somebody doesn't get what they're supposed to get when they want it, that's not a pressure that should be on you. That's between them and God. And as I said earlier, God's delay is for your good. See, God's not interested in just meeting your needs. He's interested in your soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, in the natural, you don't know any better. You don't know any better. You don't know. That's what I'm saying. In the church, you should come and you should feel edified. You should be blessed. You should come into a place that makes you want to do more, love more, give more, be a blessing to someone else. You shouldn't walk out of here feeling like, wow, the pastor really tore me up. <laughs> pastor really preached. I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so miserable while I was in there. I mean, you know, I came in here. I was invited to church. I'm, dear God, I'll never accept another one. <laughs> and you need to know it's not me. I'm not talking about anybody. Anything I might be saying up here, I don't know what it's doing in here. I don't know how it's affecting people. I'm just doing what I'm feeling led to do at the moment that I'm doing it. And I'm praying, I prayed early this morning that God would affect the people in a positive way, that things that were impossible will become possible. People that need healing will get healing. People that need to be reconciled will be reconciled. People that need to know more about God and understand about God will get that. Amen. That's what I was praying this morning. And that's what I know God is answering. Amen. Well, listen, we're going to make some point out of this. Let's go back to Mark 6. Father, help me speak to your people and give them what they need and what you desire for them to have. You know, this natural-minded thing is just an enemy to faith, and we've got to come out of the natural mind. and got to get our minds renewed and get it stuck on God. Amen? So they took offense at Jesus. They got mad at him. And it says here in verse 4, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown and among his own relatives, and in his own household. And I see that to be so true that I've been received more by people outside my family. But when you go home, boy, I don't care who you are. You ain't nothing but my nephew. I don't care what church you run or how many ministries you've been in, how many radio programs you've been on, how many projects you've done, you're still my brother. See, they want to reduce you down to where they are. And it's not that you as a minister is looking for any preferential treatment. That's the last thing you want if you really know God. You don't want anybody to call you out or put you up in the front. And I don't desire to be in the front. When I go visit other churches, I love the back row. I tell you, I love the back row. I like to sit in the back row. That's the coolest spot in the house. Ain't nobody bothering me. Nobody calling on me. Ain't nobody looking at me. You know, got this pastor walking back here, though. But, you know, but a lot of times you sit in the back row when the service is over, you can make a getaway. You can get out of here so quick. I'm telling you, man, you are out of here. You sit up in the front, you can't just get up and, you know, walk out. Everybody's doing stuff. You're sitting up there. But that side door right there, the door right there, you can get out of here. Back row is cool. I'm like you. I like the back row. I love me some back row seats. I love it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. God is good, huh? All the time. All the time. Well, you know, they're mad at Jesus and your relatives. Many of you probably had the same problem. You go back and try to talk to your relatives, and they're not listening to you. They ain't trying to hear it. 
When I told my mother first I was going to be a pastor, she just patted me on the head, good son. <laughs> Woman, behold your son. You know, they don't understand. They want what's good for you. They want what's right for you. But you know, you're coming up, you just don't click right away when somebody starts speaking about God's stuff until some time has elapsed and they start to see, well, he's really doing this thing. Uh, he's serious about it and yeah, he's moving on into it. Well, I guess he's serious. And so and now most of the family members say, well, yeah, he's a pastor and he's pastor and he does this, he does that. But in the beginning, man, it was like hard. It's, that's a little Ralphie. I never could lose the little Ralphie. That's little Ralphie over there. What's little Ralphie doing now? Uh, little Ralphie trying to pastor the church. Little Ralphie's pastoring. Oh, that's so good for little Ralphie. That's the way they treat you. And don't have any level of success in it. Because then if you have a level of success, well, you know, I taught him everything I knew. I mean, that's why he's like that. <laughs> Then they want to lay claim to you. Yeah, that's my boy. That's my cousin up there. That's my son. Yeah, that's my boy right there. You can't listen to anything or anybody. If God calls you, you better listen to God. There are going to be times in your life and your ministry, it's going to look like you don't know what you're doing. It's going to look foolish. Like we said over there, it's foolishness to people who don't believe. It's going to be hard times. It's just going to mean you think, man, and you serve God is going to be really great. It's wonderful. I mean, to serve God, and it is internally, but externally, man, it gets a storm. I mean, I never had as much trouble in my life till I got saved and came into the word. I was oblivious to trouble because I was part of the trouble. But when I got saved, I started to recognize that people don't love God much. And I started to recognize there's a lot of evil in the world. And you don't realize how dangerous of an environment that you live in. And I don't know how people today are even making it without God, except but by the grace of God. Amen. Every day is dangerous and it's violent. And so when you get called of God, you have to know that you know that you know that God has called you. Because those who go with you won't end with you. I've seen this thing. I've been in the ministry for 42 years. I've been big church. I've been little church. I've been out churched. I've been under churched. But I've seen a little bit of everything under the sun. And how you start is not going to be how you finish. One thing I've held to be the thing that I keep as sacred for me is that when I was six years old, God spoke to me and called me to the ministry at six years old. I was six-year-old teaching people on the side of my house through a little green book, a little Gideon Bible. Had a little red wagon, had people sit in a little wagon. I'm standing outside the wagon teaching them the Word of God. And I was teaching out of the book of Revelation at six years old. And God just kept on developing and kept on developing and kept on developing all the way through. And never did let me go to seminary. I tried to go to seminary schools, different things like that. God, for some reason, shut the doors to everything. He said, I'm going to teach you myself. And I went through everything, talked to everything. I mean, seen all kinds of stuff. I was, I was a police chaplain for seven and a half years, San Diego PD. I was a juvenile hall chaplain for seven and a half years. Everything went seven and a half years. I worked for the Red Cross for seven and a half years. For somebody who never knew anything, could never do anything, who'd never been called, well, the chief of police thought something of it. You don't just get to go into the police force and be the chaplain of the police force. If you're just a little Ralphie. 
So somebody trusted God and somebody believed God somewhere in your life. And when I'm saying that, not so much that you can see me, but that littleness and that smallness and the way you think, you need to do away with that because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And the great God inside of you is pressing on the inside to get on the outside to show himself to a dying world. And if you are faithful and bold enough to speak, first of all, in your own hometown, to speak outside of your hometown would be nothing. But it ain't going to be easy. Jesus said it's a hard way to go. He said, in the world you have tribulation, but give you a good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm going to stop right there until next week. Amen. Amen.